0: One cold January night in 1935, in a New York City courtroom, an old tattered-looking woman was on trial for stealing a loaf of bread. She looked sad and tired, and behind her face you could see the shame. The mayor of New York, Fiorella LaGuardia, yes, the same guy whose name is on their airport now, happened to be on the bench that night. And he asked her, did you steal that loaf of bread? The woman hung her head and she said, yes, Your Honor, I stole the bread. The judge then asked her, why did you steal the bread? Were you hungry? Yes, I was hungry, she said, but I didn't steal the bread for myself. My son-in-law abandoned his family. My daughter fell sick. Her two little kids were starving. They hadn't eaten in days. I couldn't stand to see them so hungry. They were so young. By the time she'd finished speaking, the whole courtroom was silent. The judge looked at the old woman and said, Everyone is equal under the law. For stealing the bread, you can either pay a $10 fine or spend 10 days in jail. She looked up and slowly replied, Judge, I'm willing to be punished for what I've done but respectfully, if I had $10, I wouldn't have stolen the bread. I'm willing to go to jail, but my only concern is who will take care of my ailing daughter? Who will look after those children? Judge LaGuardia paused for a moment, leaned back into his chair. He reached into his pocket, pulled out a $10 bill, and held it out for everyone in the courtroom to see. Then he said, with this $10 note, I will pay for your punishment. You are free to leave. He then turned to the people in the courtroom and he said, In addition, I charge each person here in this courtroom 50 cents as a punishment for the indifference and ignorance of this community. An old woman should not have to steal bread to feed her family. Bailiff, please collect the money from everyone and give it to the woman. 50 cents came from the owner of the grocery store where the bread was stolen, as well as from a number of spectators, defendants, lawyers, police officers who were present that day. And as they gave, they stood up and they applauded the verdict. The next day the story was featured in a New York City newspaper. It reported that $47.50 had been given to the poor accused woman in 1935. That was a fair chunk of change. The judge's decision made a point of how complicit people have become in the suffering of others and how we are all accountable in that crime. The message rippled through the city, just like the lesson in our kids' time today. What a nice thing to do. What a wise, just thing to do. What a good thing to do. Thousands of years earlier, Written in the 15th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses spoke to his people on the same issue. Quote, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him, and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. For the poor will never cease from the land." Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and to your needy in your land. Today I'm going to ask you to open your heart and lend a hand to give, serve, and encourage. Frankly, to love one another. Change your home, your neighborhood, your community, and our world for the better. Add light and goodness to help dispel darkness and despair and discouragement. Do good, and don't feel the least bit selfish once you realize how good it will make you feel. Mark Twain wrote this, It is goodness that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Yes, even the deaf and blind can recognize goodness, so why don't more of us who can see and hear practice it? It's easy for us to look after ourselves and not pay attention to the needs of others. In fact, we're really good at passing by on the other side of the street so we don't have to see or experience uncomfortable beggars. It's easy for us to look the other way when somebody needs help. It's easy to rationalize that someone else can help them. I have to get to work. I'll be late for my meeting. Someone else can help. We've all done it. We forget the universal importance of giving. The biblical imperative to care for and share our resources, our time, and our encouragement with others. When we do not give, we ignore the second part of what Jesus called the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But who is my neighbor? Someone asked Jesus that, and he responded with a powerful story. Luke 10, 30-37, he tells of a Jewish man lying on the roadside between Jerusalem and Jericho after being beaten half to death and robbed. A Jewish priest sees him, and a little later a Levite, a man who worked in the temple. They both saw him, and not only did they not try to help, they crossed over the road so they wouldn't even have to see him. I don't know him. I'm not getting involved. Places to go, people to see, Ugh. He's dirty, he's half-dead, someone else's problem. But Jesus surprises everyone when he places a Samaritan as the hero of his parable. Why a Samaritan? The Jews openly despised Samaritans, and they had done so for centuries. Let's look back in history a little bit and see the Samaritans living in the northern section of the divided nation of Israel. In 2 Kings, we learn that around 720 BC, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom and displaced most of its people with Gentile colonists from many nations, including Babylon. These people worshiped pagan gods, intermarried with the Jews, introducing a very different culture to the northern lands of Israel. They even established a new capital city, the hilltop city of Samaria. About a century later, the southern portion of the kingdom, Judah, was invaded by the Babylonians. Its people too were carried off into captivity, but 70 years later a remnant of 43,000 of them were permitted to return and rebuild Jerusalem. The people who now inhabited the former northern kingdom of Israel, the Samaritans vigorously opposed the repatriation and tried to undermine the attempt to reestablish the southern kingdom of Judah. For their part, the full-blooded, monotheistic Jews detested the mixed marriages and idol worship of their northern cousins in Samaria, and their mistrust and hatred grew even to the time of Jesus telling this story. So Jesus, when asked, Who is my neighbor? tells of a beaten Jewish man snubbed by his own Jewish people but helped by his enemy from Samaria. He's saying there is no boundary for love or neighbors. Perhaps Jesus' point was this. Your neighbor is anyone with a need you're able to meet. So look for a neighbor whose need you might meet. All people are God's people, and God tells us to love one another. In fact, the apostle John in 1 John 3.17 writes this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? James was an influential leader in the early church, the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, when we listen or read God's word, we should act on it. If we don't, we're deceiving ourselves. James is saying that, and I quote Pastor Matthew Rattan on this one, Invisible beliefs make a visible difference. If we claim to believe certain things in our heads and hearts, but don't talk or act accordingly or any differently, then we really didn't believe them in the first place. The Bible is full of examples, instances, commands directly dealing with our responsibility to act on behalf of others and with the eternal significance of doing so. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right And the goat's on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Author Nishan Panwar said, The world is full of nice people. If you can't find one... Be one. Besides, being nice helps the recipient of the charity and the giver too. Have you experienced how good it feels to do good? 2 Corinthians 9 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why is it that when you do something really selfless, maybe even sacrificial, why does it feel so good? Well, some psychologists will say that we have evolved to understand that sharing and giving to others makes society a better place and that makes our own lives easier. In one study, children as young as 19 months showed innate sharing behavior, sharing food and treats with others, even when they themselves were hungry. Could it be that even at that young age, they understand that this is a way to build relationships with others who may in turn share with them later. I think they're right, mostly, except for that evolved thing. I believe that God created a need to share because he knew that we would need to share and build relationships with each other. Many believe that God created us to care, the Bible says he created us in his image. And think about it. It also says that God so loved and cared for the world that he gave his only son to show us how to care and how to love one another. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And there's no question about the impact of Christian charity in the history of man. The impact of Jesus' teachings created people who created massive change in their communities through sacrificial love and sharing. In the years of the early church, a variety of writers, Christian and pagan, have recorded something new developing in their society, the generosity and mercy shared by the early Christian community. In the early fourth century famine and war had horribly afflicted the city of Caesarea so when a plague came the populace was already weakened and unable to withstand yet another blow. The people began fleeing this one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire for safety in the countryside. However in the midst of the fleeing inhabitants one group was staying behind the Christians. As bishop of the city and a historian of the early church, Eusebius recorded this during that plague. All day long the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. Apparently because of their sacrifice and compassion during the plague, the remaining populace of Caesarea began to notice, too. Eusebius records that their deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. A few decades after Eusebius, the last pagan emperor, Julian the Apostate, recognized that the Christian practice of compassion was actually a motivator in the new faith called Christianity, which had become a major cultural acceptance out of a small movement on the edge of the empire. Writing to a pagan priest, he said this, When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy like he thought it was a trick. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. In fact, Emperor Julian proposed that pagan priests imitate the Christian's charity in order to bring about a revival of paganism in the empire. And his report is a powerful testimony to the love and charity of those Christian subjects. Emperor Julian was raised in a Christian setting, and he knew the Christian faith well, but he was passionate about his pagan beliefs and sought to undermine the Christian church. Therefore, he certainly had no reason to present the actions of the Christians in a favorable light. But he just did. As even the powerful Romans realized, when you give, the effects of your kindness on others are purely positive. And it's okay to humbly bask in the joy that giving brings to those you've helped. Feeling good about yourself is okay, as long as that's not the sole focus and reason for your actions. Feeling good is a natural byproduct of helping other people. If you've had the opportunity to watch the beautifully produced, brilliantly written series about the life of Christ and His disciples, The Chosen, and if you haven't, you should, it's free, YouTube, it's all over the place, you'll see something that the Bible, being a written record of these days, cannot easily or fully communicate. The producers of this series have been careful to present the Messiah as a caring, compassionate Savior who clearly loves people. And when he helps or heals them, you can see in his face and in his body language how much he loves to see them well and happy, how much he loves to share his healing power with them and to restore them to health of body and spirit, how good it makes him feel to be able to make them feel good. Pope Francis wrote this, Rivers do not drink their own water. Trees do not eat their own fruit. The sun does not shine on itself. Flowers do not spread their fragrance for themselves. Living for others is a rule of nature. We are all born to help each other no matter how difficult it is. Life is good when you are happy but much better when others are happy because of you. Clearly, we shouldn't bask in the self-righteous pride of, look everyone, look what I've done. But there's nothing wrong with feeling good about your generosity and using that to spur yourself on to more kind deeds and those around you to imitate your behavior. God wants you to feel good and promises through the words of Jesus in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, Will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Remember, store up yourselves treasures in heaven. C.S. Lewis wrote this If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Jesus' love is the perfect example of what it means to give and serve others. Out of love, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So on his last night with the apostles, he got up from the table, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around his waist, and saying, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. On his last night with his disciples, before he was crucified, Jesus emphasized loving and serving others. He demonstrated what loving, other, loving others looked like by washing the feet, the dirty feet, of his disciples. Now that may seem gross enough today, but realizing that in that day people wore sandals and walked everywhere... Well, that job was usually saved for lowly servants. One of Jesus' final commands to his disciples was to love and serve one another as he had loved and served them. God is love, so our love for others points them to him. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him, 1 John 4, 9-12. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that while we were still sinners, he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God so loved us that we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and love is brought to full expression in us. When we love each other, when we share what we have with others, it could be our time, financial assistance, helping with a difficult chore, or as the kids said, even simply talking and listening to someone who needs someone to simply talk and listen. It gives people a glimpse of God because God is love. Matthew 25, 40. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This was one of Mother Teresa's favorite texts. She often quoted to support her ministry for the poor, uh, a humble, ambitious nun who created a massive mission of mercy in India, feeding the starving, treating the sick and dying, touching the untouchables with love, with kindness, with dignity, and with compassion. How many people? Innumerable. In 1950, she founded an organization called the Missionaries of Charity, which was a sisterhood dedicated to helping the poor. Well, it expanded internationally to include over 5,000 nuns and 400 brothers across 90 countries, all of whom look after the poor and the sick and dying in the slums of over 160 cities across the world. Mind-boggling, rippling, Christian love and service to the poor and the sick and the dying. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So many followers of Christ have created massive charities, social and charitable institutions, Salvation Army, Red Cross, World Vision, countless hospitals, schools, seniors' care facilities, orphanages, soup kitchens, universities. Literally, we could go on and on and on. But just as Christ built his church on the dedication and talents of individuals, we, you and I, can change the world, absolutely change the world, one person at a time. We can't necessarily impact the whole world right now on our own, but we can set in motion a cascade of benefits and goodwill that will help build better lives, and better homes, and better communities. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God wants us. To be generous, because he is generous. One night at 11.30 p.m., an older African-American woman was standing on the side of an Alabama highway trying to endure a lashing rainstorm. Her car had broken down and she desperately needed a ride. Soaking wet, she decided to try and flag down the next vehicle. A young white man stopped to help her, generally unheard of in those conflict-filled 1960s in Alabama. The man took her to safety, helped her get assistance, and put her in a taxi cab. She seemed to be in a big hurry, but she wrote down his address and thanked him. Seven days went by and a knock came on the man's door. To his surprise, a giant console color TV was delivered. A special note was attached, and it said this. Thank you so much for assisting me on the highway the other night. The rain drenched not only my clothes, but also my spirits. Then you came along. Because of you, I was able to make it to my dying husband's bedside just before he passed away. God bless you for helping me and unselfishly serving others. Sincerely, Mrs. Nat King Cole. Giving isn't about what's in your wallet or your purse. It's about what's in your heart. There are a great many reasons to give, serve, and encourage, and here are just a few. Giving and sharing helps and encourages others. Of course it does. The world outside can be a dark place. And those who have little or nothing depend on the generosity and loving kindness of people with a giving spirit. Jesus told us not to hide our light under a bowl. When you give to the less fortunate, you add to their lives, and by adding to theirs, you show them and the world the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Giving inspires collateral goodness. People who have been on the receiving end of kindness often pay it forward and give to others even when they have hardly anything to give. I've heard this called collateral goodness. For example, you help someone and then go on with your day. The person you help goes about their own day as well, but because they feel so good, they make an effort to help someone else. That's collateral goodness. Even sharing the gospel works that way. You share the gospel with someone who perhaps days or years later shares the good news with another as a result of your testimony and help, maybe years earlier, collateral goodness. Giving teaches responsibility. When you give, you may have to make sacrifices. If you feel the urge to donate to a cause regardless of your own financial standing, you learn how to do without certain things so that you can make the donation. Perhaps you'll watch your spending habits. Maybe you'll be more frugal that month. You'll realize that you don't need that much stuff in your life to be happy. Former NFL player, coach Mike Singletary, gave some sage advice on sharing. He said to a colleague, giving is only valuable when it costs you something. Sometimes less truly is more Giving cultivates self-worth. It's a good way to start believing in yourself and helps others to share your values and pay attention to what you believe in. Giving makes you happy. Seeing the smiles, gratitude and expressions of hope on the faces of those who you helped makes the act of giving very worthwhile. In numerous studies, scientists found that those who spent money on others even though they had the option to spend the money on themselves, well, they were happier. And giving does make a difference. No matter how much or how little you can give, you have the power to touch the life of another person, and you can affect them in ways you may never completely be aware of. It's easy to be cynical today and to think that the help that you can offer is negligible. But it only takes a small gesture of kindness to transform a life and absolutely change somebody's future. Some of you may remember the late Reverend Ernie Nolmar. Many in Barry called him Mr. Christmas. As a young boy, he remembered the Salvation Army bringing food to his poor family at Christmas. From that humbling experience, he resolved to do something good for others if he ever had the opportunity. Well, in 1974 he took the reins of the Berry Christmas Cheer Association, and during his 28 years as president, he presided over a most wonderful Christian charity, which benefited tens of thousands of down-on-their-luck men, women, and children, providing food and toys so there'd be something under the tree, something on the table to help them celebrate Christmas. Giving is so easy, and there's so much that you can give you can give your time and energy you can give your warmth and friendship, you can give a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on and of course you can give materially personally I've been so privileged in my life to be involved in a great many wonderful organizations and charities often because of the nature of my work in broadcasting I'd be thrust into situations and relief projects with a number of service clubs and charities in the community and over the years I have met and worked with many generous kind, giving people through my church, through Christmas cheer, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Salvation Army, Women and Children's Shelter, World Vision, RVH, Samaritan's Purse, many more loving, godly causes. It's all around us. I would also meet some of the recipients of the aid from these charities, hear and share their stories, meet their families, see their need, and often personally witnessed the absolutely positive impact of the donations on their lives, their families, and their futures. I felt that it was something I could do to give and serve my community by encouraging others to get involved. I couldn't afford to give big financial donations, but I was in a position where I could do what I could do, including getting directly involved in fundraising, And with media contacts in the community, I could help to encourage others to do good things for their community and its people. Look at this tree. Many of us here today will take part in a random act of kindness. The recipients of the articles you donate will never know where it came from. But they will know that somebody cared enough to share and make their lives this Christmas a little better. Helen Keller said it. Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. When we encourage others, we're displaying a selfless attitude and a godly spirit which builds support for for confidence and hope in them. And just like when one gives or shares, both the giver and the recipient of the encouragement will benefit. Jesus was a great encourager. He certainly must have been to motivate so many others at such a difficult time to give so much of themselves and their resources to their friends and neighbors, even strangers. Even after Peter denies even knowing the Lord Jesus Christ three times, Jesus, upon his return, is gentle, loving, and encouraging. Remember the example Christ set for us. We all make mistakes. Peter was broken and repentant. Christ forgave, restored, and encouraged him. We can follow his example. Like the Apostle Paul, who would encourage the members to encourage one another in the Thessalonica church with his letter in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In closing, consider the words of former Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir, who once said this, It's not what we gather, but what we scatter that tells what kind of life we've lived. Build a legacy of love. Scatter kindness to your neighbors and community and the world around you. You'll never know how far the ripple effect of your generosity and kindness will go. Dr. David Jeremiah, in his book, A Life Beyond Amazing, tells the story of Albert Lexi. He began cleaning and polishing shoes outside of the Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh in 1981. He kept his customers happy and was frequently tipped a dollar or two, sometimes more. But over the years his styles changed, business waned and after 32 years of shining shoes he decided it was time to hang him up. Hospital staff and administrators threw him a party. They knew that his presence in front of the hospital would be missed more than most realized. When he walked home after his last day, his influence at the hospital would continue. You see, during all those years of shining shoes, Albert Lexi had donated more than 30 percent of his earnings to the hospital's free care fund which helped cash-strapped families pay their bills. And those little tips? He gave every single tip to the hospital. In total, he donated over two hundred thousand dollars in cash. English cleric and evangelist John Wesley lived by a creed to which I think Albert Lexi must have subscribed and each of us might wish to consider for adoption. Do all the good you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever You can. Give, serve, and encourage every day in some small way. Three simple things we can do to show love to people around us. To help others, ourselves, and God himself smile. Amen.